Thank you, choir. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. Uh, Mark chapter 10, and just hold your spot there. We're going to get there in just a few moments. Uh, Mark chapter 10. We are uh, in the series called Nuts and Bolts. This is the fourth week, I believe. We had an intro uh, week into this series, and then we uh, basically over the, 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 you know, the couple of months or so that we'll be in the series, we're looking at literally the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life, those things that are essential, they're non-negotiable. If we're going to have an effective walk with God, if we're going to have an effective Christian life, then these are things that have to be there. It's not exhaustive. There are some things we're just not going to take the time to cover, but these are you know, what I feel would be the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life. And so that's what we're looking at. And then with each one, each week, we're kind of looking at some nuts and bolts as well that help us to be able to kind of flesh that out in practical ways as well. So we started off looking at God's Word uh, with a message entitled, uh, Read the Book. So we have to be people who read Scripture, that read the book and let it mold us and shape us ultimately. So that was the very first message after the intro. And then last Sunday, we looked at the necessity of grace and truth being lived out in our lives uh, uh, on a continual basis. It's not just all about truth with no grace. It's not all about grace with no truth, but we balance those two qualities, and, and we looked at how Jesus did that, especially in John chapter 8 with, a, with a, a very moving passage of Scripture there, and how he demonstrated both grace and truth. We need to do the same thing for ourselves, and we also need to do the same thing towards others as well. So this morning, we're going to add another message to the series with a message entitled, Just Row, and we're going to look at the essential the uh, uh, nuts and bolts of what it means to serve, how we serve God through serving others. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. You may remember being back in school in history class or maybe even in grade school, and you learned about this thing called the Pony Express. So everybody's probably not... not SMU in their, you know, offensive attack in football a number of years back, but the Pony Express. This was a courier system. It was the mail system back in the night, or in the uh, 1860, 1861. It lasted for about 18 months or so, and it was a relay, really, uh, uh, is how it operated, where the mail would be carried for about 1,900 miles, and you can see on this very professional map behind me, uh, you can see how it started in St. Joseph, Missouri, and then it would ultimately end in Sacramento, California, just under 2,000 miles. And uh, the people who would ride this, this route were interesting people. They, they, they looked for folks that were young, obviously. They looked for folks that were well-conditioned, that could, could, could ride horseback, and, uh, and who were willing to risk. And this was an expensive uh, system. If you delivered a piece of mail... It was $2.50 an ounce to have it delivered via the Pony Express. And this was in 1860, 1861. You can imagine how that would translate into today. So it wasn't inexpensive. It, it was very costly to do this. And so basically you would have a series of riders that would ride about 100, maybe a little bit more miles per day. They would go for 15 to 20 miles at a time. Then they would change horses. And, uh, and after that 100, 125 miles or so, they would then... Uh, change riders. I mean, they would actually come to the end of their leg of the journey. Somebody else would take the mail and take over, and you could get it from St. Joseph, Missouri to uh, Sacramento, California in about 10 days. And it wasn't for the faint of heart. It was not easy. It was very, very difficult. And, uh, and, and this was a, a challenging time, really, in our nation's history. The Pony Express came to an end when the telegraph was able to be uh, carried out in transcontinental fashion. And so once it was basically started and begun and linked up with New York, 
then the Pony Express fell apart and fell away. Well, there, there was a newspaper ad placed in a, 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 a newspaper in San Francisco. You probably can't read it from where you are, so I'll read it for you. This is a newspaper ad placed trying to advertise for riders on the Pony Express. This is what it says. Pony Express, St. Joseph, Missouri to California in 10 days or less. Wanted. Young, skinny, wiry fellows. <laughs> yeah. Any of you get the job you have currently right now because it was advertised that way? Young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders, willing to risk death daily. Boy, that'll attract, a, that'll attract some people, right? And, uh, and here's the next line I love, orphans preferred. <laughs> Uh, wages, $25 per week, apply at the Pony Express tables, St. Joseph, Missouri. So an act- actual newspaper ad there and uh, that, that was highlighting, calling for people. Do, do you know, you may not know this, that the Pony Express never lacked for riders. They always had the positions filled, and they were very upfront about what it would cost, and they were very upfront about what the risks were, and yet they never lacked for riders. They always had people, ample employees that were ready to carry out this particular task, and they did it. Obviously, they got compensated, but they volunteered to step into that. Well, it's, it's interesting. There's a book that I read way back when I was in seminary uh, called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by a guy named Donald Whitney. Some of you have read that book as well. And he equates that Pony Express story to what it means to serve God. And what he does is he connects the dots and he links up the simple truth that when we think about serving God, it's not much unlike that. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to get shot at you know, or, or ambushed or anything like that along the way. <laughs> we may, I guess. But what it's getting at is that, that serving is not for the faint of heart. Serving, when we think about serving other people, when we think about serving God as we serve other people, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not something that you just casually jump into. There would be no one who had operated as part of the Pony Express who did that on a casually interested basis. They were all in, right? And if you rode a horse on the Pony Express, you weren't just trying it out. For, for a season. You weren't just giving it a test run. You were not just casual in your interest in this. You were already from beginning, for, from the very day one, you were all in. And when we think about what it means to serve God through serving other people, it is one of the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life. You are not going to be effective in your walk with God the way that you could be if you were disengaged from serving other people. And so I think it's important, it's a no-brainer really when you look at a series that deals with the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life, I mean, serving has to be in there. I mean, it has to be in there. Otherwise, our salvation is just all about us. It's just for us. And even our own Savior didn't live that way. He gave himself, as we're going to see in just a moment, he gave himself so that we could even have a relationship with God to begin with. And so serving is a key component, is a key element of any effective Christian life. And so, so even there, however, there are certain misconceptions. I want to give you just a few misconceptions that, that when you think about serving, these may be some of the misconceptions that come to mind. They're not on the overhead. They're very simple. You can jot them down if you want. But just a few misconceptions I want us to look at before we, before we uh, begin to move forward in a real practical way in this, in this message. The first misconception is this, that the misconception is that serving others is an option to the Christian life. It is optional. It, it is, it is a, uh, it's negotiable. It, it, it's, it's up for negotiation. You sort of add it in when you can. You choose not to if you don't have time for it. It's this misconception that serving is an option. 
Some of you, when you got dressed today to come to church, I'm thinking mainly the ladies here in the crowd, you probably knew what the weather was going to be, and as you decided what you're going to wear, you began to think of certain accessories, right? You wanted to accessorize. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty much, you know, shoe, socks, pants, shirt. That's, there's not a whole lot of accessory that goes with that necessarily, right? But for some, there are accessories, meaning I'm going to add this to my outfit. I'm going to choose. I may, not, I may wear the same outfit another day, and I'm not going to use these accessories. They're optional for that particular day. I'm going to choose to include them, or I'm going to choose not to. My daughter, April, nine years old, she is uh, incredibly creative, and she thinks outside the box really well. And, um, and she has uh, a lot of dolls. Uh, she is very much into dolls, and she has, last count, I think, We've got about 1,041 around the house, I think, somewhere around there. And, um, and when she shops for dolls, you know, and when she gets dolls, and she'll sh- save her money and all kinds of stuff. But it's, sometimes it's not about just the doll. It's about what goes on the doll, and it's about what goes with the doll. You know, those are all options. Here's the problem. If we look at serving other people, and if we look at serving God as optional, as an accessory, that I might hang it on my Christian life this week, but I'm not going to hang it on my Christian life for, for a month after that. I'm just going to sort of add it in when I got time or when I feel like it or when I'm in a good mood, then I may serve, but usually I'm not going to serve. That is not the way God wants us to be looking at what it means to serve. It is not an option. It's not an accessory that we add on to the Christian life. It doesn't operate that way specifically. Another misconception is that serving is somehow demeaning, right? It it, it lowers us. It it demeans us. It's demeaning. And and maybe there are some types of service we may contribute towards that maybe gets our name out there a little bit or we get recognized. That's not demeaning. But then we have in our minds this category and these compartments of different types of serving that, let's just be honest, you may feel like, you know what, that's just beneath me. I'm never going to say that because I feel guilty even thinking that, but you know, a lot of Christians operate with that, that very mentality that serving is just, it's just demeaning. You know, it, just, it, 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 it just makes me feel like I'm less than I should be, and I think a lot of it is because of the way we view life outside of that Sunday 9 to noon. Think about in your career, right, probably your goal is to get from the bottom rung up to the higher part of your company or your type of work. That's, that's part of your drive. You don't want to be flipping burgers forever. You want to be the guy who gets to tell everybody else how to flip the burgers. You don't want to be just doing that for your whole life. I want to be the guy who has the opportunity and the voice and the authority that says, this is how you flip a burger. Now get over there and flip those burgers, right? You want to be that person. You don't want to be the rookie who's carrying everybody else's bags. You want to be the veteran who's arrived, who's accomplished some things, who, who, who has a list of achievements that everybody else looks to and says, man, I want to be like them. You get to boss people around a little bit. That's, that's kind of the world maybe that we come out of on a nine to five basis. And then it's very hard to transition into our Christian life as though there's a difference. And, and then suddenly we become a servant to people. It's very hard for some people to make that transition. They feel demeaning. They're, they're so respected and they're so looked up to outside of ministry. Again, as though there was a difference. And when it comes to serving, they just see themselves as being incredibly demeaned by doing it. Well, Jesus had an interesting take on that. Mark chapter 10, that's where I had you turn. There's this exchange between Jesus and a couple of his disciples, James and John. They were, they were part of his inner circle. Jesus called 12 disciples. 
He went to them individually, handpicked them, told them, follow me. They had to decide whether they're going to take him up on it or not, and they followed him. Well, within that group of 12, Jesus also had kind of an inner circle of about three, Peter, James, and John. And they, they just seemed to be with Jesus at some of the higher points of his ministry. And, uh, and we see an exchange here with Jesus between two of those inner circle guys, James and John. Now, one of the other gospel accounts will include James and John's mother in this account that I'm about to read. Mark doesn't include her, so we don't know if these are two separate occasions when this happened or if it was one, but Mark didn't, didn't just share her in the story. It's not contradictory at all. It just may be his take. Regardless, it's a very interesting exchange. Look at what it says here, Mark chapter 10, and it has everything to do with serving, beginning in verse 35. So Mark picks up, and he says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's pretty bold, by the way, isn't it? It's almost awkward even kind of reading that, like, wow, that's, that's out there. So, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said, Jesus said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit, one on your right, one on your left. I mean, this is, this is prime seats, right? This, this is up front. One on your right, one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. I think the reference there was the suffering that would come with Jesus. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, well, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And hearing this, the ten, right, these are the other disciples, the other ten that are kind of listening in and hearing all this unfold, they began to feel indignant with James and John. They're like, what, what do these two guys think they're doing? What about us? We want a good seat with Jesus, right, in glory. I mean, why are they getting the two best seats? What about us? And they're getting all bent out of shape over it. And so Jesus calls a timeout, so, all right, huddle time. And so he comes in, pulls them together. This is a great teaching moment here. And so it says, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And, and I think Jesus may have just sort of kind of looked or pointed around, right? They're living in the land of Israel here, but that land is occupied by the Roman authorities, and they saw this every day around them. They saw what it was like to live under the thumb of the Roman government, and, and they, they, they experienced that on a daily basis. So maybe Jesus was just kind of pointing around. He says, hey, listen, when you look around, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their great men exercise authority over them. You know what this looks like, and they're probably nodding their heads. Jesus says, but it's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even, then he points to himself as the example, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's in essence Jesus saying, when you look at the pathway to greatness, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do things well and wanting to live a life that, that, that has influence and that leaves a mark, nothing wrong with that. I would hope we would all have that kind of drive in our lives, that we want to make a difference through the lives that we live and the things that we do. But what Jesus is doing here, he's reminding them that if you want to be great in God's eyes, from God's economy, that pathway to greatness doesn't run through stardom, it runs through servanthood. 
And what the kingdom of God doesn't need is another star. It doesn't need somebody else on a platform. It doesn't need somebody else wanting the attention. That's what Christianity does not need. What Christianity needs and what God's kingdom is going to ultimately bless and be benefited from is going to be another person who takes the pathway to greatness through servanthood, not through stardom. And some of the greatest people that we've never heard of that I believe God would probably say, this is who you need to live your life after, are people that, that the world took no note whatsoever of what they did through their lives. God said, this person is a hero. This person is a star. Why? Because they understood what it meant to, to serve. And so there's often a misconception, ultimately, for a lot of believers that Serving others is demeaning. Jesus says it's not demeaning. It's, it's a necessity. And by the way, when I came to this earth, the way I served, the way I lived was that I served you to the point of my own death. <laughs> you know, I took on the heart of a servant. I, I, I became, I humbled myself, Philippians 2 would say. And in so doing, he provided a way for us to ultimately be saved. So a misconception is that serving is demeaning. A misconception is that serving is somehow an, an option. It's an add-on to the Christian life. A third misconception that often comes up with, with the uh, whole thought of serving is that serving others does little to change eternity. That's a misconception. It's not a principle. That's a misconception. Serving others does very, very little to change eternity. Yeah, it, that couldn't be further. couldn't be further from the truth. I think the reason sometimes we think that serving does little to impact or to change eternity is because we see serving in isolation. If we take a meal to a shut-in, if we knock on the door of a neighbor, right, who maybe doesn't even know God, and yet we know they're going through a hard time, and we somehow reach out to them, we let them know we're praying for them, or, or if we come alongside of a coworker who's struggling at work, and we, we sacrifice you know, our schedule for that moment, and we come alongside just to help them, right? Whatever step of serving, we may serve in preschool ministry, or, or right now upstairs, there are adults working with our, with our children, K through fifth, in children's ministry. Those who come on Wednesday nights, and they get ready to lead us in worship through choir. No matter what it is, what we often do is we see that act of serving in isolation, which, again, could not be further from the truth. And we'll give you a couple of principles that I, that I hope you'll jot down. We've looked at misconceptions. Let me give you a, a principle real quickly this morning. And the first principle is this, that serving other people, serving God as we serve other people, is never an isolated exercise. It is never done in isolation. Let me give you an example. This Christmas, I made uh, a gift for Susie. I, I've always wanted to kind of learn to work with, uh, with wood and uh, I've never, I'm just not that kind of person. Uh, if I build something, it's going to be backwards, upside down, or broken. And uh, I, I'm just not, I'm not that way. So I decided this Christmas, you know, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make Susie a gift. And, uh, and so I decided I'm going to make her a cutting board. And so I talked with Wes over here. Wes does all kind of awesome stuff with wood. And, and we were in a conversation and uh, he mentioned that he was, he was going to be making one of these. Now, I've, I've seen a picture of the one he made and it's much better than this. Sorry, Susie. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but he gave me the idea. And so I went to that manly website to learn how to do this, Pinterest. And, um, and so... <laughs> 
<laughs> Don't you laugh at me, guys. You know you've been there. And uh, <laughs> how do you fix the toilet? How do you do this? How do you change your radiator? So, so I went to that, uh, that website, Mantris, I mean Pinterest, and, uh, and so I got some how-to, like step-by-step. And, uh, and so a friend of mine here, Jimmy, Jimmy Ginn, he, uh, he, he, took, he had the wood and he, he cut them into strips on a table saw. Now, let me just say, had I done that, I would be minus four fingers on one hand had I done that. But he, he took the wood and he cut them into little narrow strips, right? So each one of these is a little narrow strip of wood. And so what I then did uh, to, to, to push this along was I then went to our facilities director, Ed Ellington, over here. And, uh, <laughs> and Susie knows all this, by the way, so... Uh, I'm not like unloading my, my soul here. And so uh, I went to Ed and I said, Ed, I think I can glue these together. And so by my own self, I glued these together and uh, glued all those strips together after I borrowed some stuff from Ed and, and he gave me some insight. And then once that was done and the glue dried, I then took this to Ed along with the clamp for him to fix that I had messed up as I returned it to him. And, uh, and he ran this thing through a planer. Have you ever seen a planer? It is awesome. Oh, my goodness. And I watched Ed like nobody's business as he ran this thing through the planer over and over and over. And, uh, and so he ran it through the planer, and then he showed me how to route. And I learned how to route something with a router, and, and, and Ed showed me. So I routed this thing. These edges, you can't see them, but they are better than any edges you've ever seen in your whole entire <laughs> life. And I routed those because Ed trained me, and he showed me how to do that specifically. And so, so I routed those, and then uh, he had a sander and sanded it down and everything. And then I put the, the coat of um, mineral oil and stuff on there, and it just like, boom, it came to life. And Christmas morning, I was so excited. And I gave this gift to Susie, and I said, I made this for you myself. <laughs> That's such a lie. I mean, <laughs> like like I did anything with this. And, uh, and so um, we don't cut on it. We just look at it. It's in a frame at home. I'm just <laughs> no, here, but here's the thing. Every, every single one of, <laughs> that's so pathetic. Every, every single one of those steps along the way, none of them were done in isolation of the other. I mean, they, they were technically, yes. I mean, you know, Wes had the idea. That kind of kick-started it. Somebody with the thought. And then, you know, when the wood was being cut, that, yeah, technically that was done in isolation. Nothing else happened there. It just wood getting cut. But, but it wasn't in isolation when you think about it. And, and all the other steps along the way and planing it and sanding it and just all the gluing and all that, everything that was done, yes, they were individual steps, but they all fit together. And if any of those steps was missing, any of those steps, if it was missing, the finished product would not exist. They didn't operate in isolation one from the other. They operated in unison, in unity, together to produce a finished product. And when you serve God, when you serve other people, you may feel like, you know what, this is making no difference. I mean, I'm, I'm working in preschool. I'm working in children or with students or with, with adults or... You know, I'm opening a door outside or, or, or I'm visiting a neighbor and, and you think to yourself, this is making no difference. But man, that is just a lie that the enemy is trying to discourage you because what you do is being combined with everything else God is doing to build something of beauty and value according to his perfect plan. You know, I heard a guy say one time that for those who serve as a greeter or an usher in a church and you're opening doors 
And not everybody is equipped for that, by the way. And the reason for that is because, and he made this statement, and it's so awesome, I totally agree. He said, you know what, the sermon on any given Sunday for a lot of people starts in the parking lot. It starts when they walk in the door and they step onto property. And if things go sideways there, they're not going to hear anything you say for 30 minutes while you're up there talking about the love of Jesus. And you may think, this makes no difference. I'm opening a door. It makes a huge difference. You're starting the sermon. And I'll blame you if the sermon goes badly, right? <laughs> if the wheels come off, will that guy hold the door or just ruin the whole thing, you know? But really, it, it works in unison with everything else. People who right now are in preschool, you're thinking, they, they could walk, walk away today and leave this place and say, that made no difference. What did I do? I watched little children. I fed Cheerios, you know, or I changed a diaper. It makes a huge difference. I mean, there are parents in here. Some of you now are, are being able to be challenged on any given Sunday, and, and through the worship, God just moves in your heart, or through the message, something, boom, pops out at you, and it's because you can come undistracted while somebody else is serving you while they serve your children. It doesn't matter what it is, knocking on that neighbor's door, helping that coworker. If it's done in the name of Jesus with the love of Christ, it's never done in isolation. It's always added to the work of the Holy Spirit. Where you plant a seed, somebody else comes behind you later and waters it, and somebody else comes behind you, fertilizes it, and somebody will be there to see the beautiful harvest one day, and it might not be you, but that's okay because your service was a part of that. Your service, the way you served another person, is what God used to make the difference, and it's part of the nuts and bolts. It really is part of the nuts and bolts of an effective Christian life. So you look at that principle. Serving is never done in isolation. Principle number two, and I need to hurry up. I'm getting long-winded. <clears throat> principle number two, serving others happens both inside the church walls and outside the church walls. Whenever we talk about serving, it doesn't mean help wanted. We need people from 9 to noon on Sunday. Whenever we talk about serving, we're not talking about help wanted. We need people from 6.30 to 8 on Wednesdays. It's not a help wanted sign. It's an opportunity for us to use the lives that God's given us and the equipping that he's already put in us to make a difference in many ways that can last forever. And that doesn't just happen inside the church. Those other areas, yes, are very important. And on any given week, in any given month of any given year, we have virtually any ministry here that could be benefited by having more people on board to serve. That's always the case. But it's also important outside these walls, between the Sundays, what we do to help and to serve and to represent Jesus in the face of other people as well. So I, I started thinking through. This is a series on nuts and bolts. Let's make it practical. So how can we help to determine how we've been equipped to serve? You've got a card in front of you. Um, uh, it's got a lot of color on it. Let's see here. We've got it on the overhead too, I believe. So you've got this card in front of you. If not, there should be one close. There should be one on every seat. Um, that's where it started at least. I can't promise it didn't get sat on or something. But you got this card uh, and it spells the word SHAPE, the acronym SHAPE. Now, I, I went through and I tried to think of my own stuff where I could come up with my own acronym and, uh, and I couldn't do it. And so this is an acronym put out by Rick Warren. He's written about a bazillion books through the years, Pastors California, Saddleback Community Church and uh, just, you know, I've done a ton of ministry. He actually came up with this, and so I don't claim this as anything I'm smart enough to come up with, but I think it really does hit as well as anything I've seen. It helps us to see how we've been shaped to be able to serve. 
And so you'll see real quickly there, each letter stands for something. The S stands for spiritual gifts. How has God gifted me? It's a question you can ask yourself. And, and is Adam in here? Where's Adam? Oh, boop. Hey, <laughs> this was Adam Howard, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Three people are appreciative that you're here, Adam. And uh, I'll make it four. <laughs> and so I didn't see that one coming. That was, that was well done. I like that. I might start a sermon that way one day. Um, so while Adam plays, he's got some good card-filling-out music. Card-filling-out music. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take, we're going to take about three minutes or so, and I want you to just maybe jot some keywords. This is for everybody in here. Jot some keywords. You know, how has God shaped me to be able to serve others, maybe inside the church walls, maybe outside the church walls? And just go down the list there. What kind, of a, what kind of gifts has God given you spiritually? Some of you may know your spiritual gift, right? That is a very biblical thing. Um, others of you may not know. Just think about how, how, how am I gifted? How has God maybe crafted me uniquely? The H stands for heart. It, it, it could easily be passion, right? What, what do I love to do? What are some things I enjoy doing? Some of you may be woodworking. Some of others of you, it may be restoring cars or cooking or, or travel or boating or whatever it may be. What are some things I have a passion for? What's my heart? The letter A stands for abilities. What natural talents do I have? Some of you are incredibly talented. You get paid a, a paycheck every week to do things that you're so talented at, but you've never thought about taking that outside of the workplace and actually leveraging it for the sake of serving somebody else. So what are some abilities? What are some natural talents that I have? The P is, you know, what is my personality? How does it best suit me to serve? And what is my personality type? Am I outgoing? Is that something that the way God's made me? Am I more uh, kind of an introverted, but I like to just get down deeper in relationship with people? Uh, what, what's my personality type? And then the E is experience. What experiences have I had? And don't just think of the good experiences that you can use to model towards others. Some of those experiences that God uses, He redeems. And sometimes some of your experiences, like all of us, may include some failure or a setback or a challenge or a trial or a loss. One of the people that God's using as greatly as anybody in our church right now is a person who went through time of loss in life they're leveraging that now and they're helping other people right so what experiences have i been through in life that i've never really thought you know what this is a this shapes me this may be something that god could use i'm not asking you to sign up for a place of ministry i'm just asking you to identify some of these areas adam's gonna play for a couple more minutes and uh jot some keywords you can finish this out on your own but take a couple of minutes right now if you will and uh just jot some things down on that card
So I want you to take that card with you at home. Maybe get some feedback from some people in your life, if you'd like. And, uh, and really give some prayer and some thought to maybe how you can use the way God shaped you to serve, to serve Him, to serve others. Maybe inside the church, maybe outside the church. There really is no, it may be in or outside the church, but there's really no inside or outside of ministry, right? Because that's what God calls us to. And you're probably a lot more equipped than you think you are. And you're never alone when you try to put that into practice. The Apostle Paul had a lot of titles for himself. He called himself the chief of sinners at one place in Scripture. Called himself an apostle, called himself a prisoner of Christ. But there was one title that he gave himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that is an interesting title. You may not think much of it. But he says in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians verse 1, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ. In the Greek language, that word servant is uh, the Greek word huperetes. And it literally means, it literally translates under rower. It's an interesting word. It, it kind of tracks back to what Paul would have been um, familiar with. It was that bottom tier of a Roman warship where the people rode that ship. Of course, they didn't have outboards in those days, 2,000 years ago. People rode those ships. The most despised of society, the lowest of the slaves, were on the very bottom of that warship. They were a foot above water, and they were known as the under rowers. They were the overlooked of society. They, uh, they had one simple job, and that was not to lead. It was to just row. Paul looks at his life. This is the greatest missionary that ever walked this earth. And he says, you know, all I am at the end of the day is I'm just an under rower, <laughs> the least of the least. And I really only have one job, and that's to respond to the voice of my captain, my savior, Jesus, and to just row. I'm a servant. I'm a servant of Christ, and I'm a steward. I'm a manager. The blessings, the mysteries of God. You know, we have a tendency, don't we, at times to say, you know what, I, I, wish, I wish people recognized what I do a little bit more, and I think what God says is just row. <laughs> you know, I wish they'd ask me about leading. You know, I got so much to add, and I got so much more experience. Just row. <laughs> I wish I could teach a class. Nobody seems to care about me being able to teach. Everybody else gets asked to teach. Just row. I wonder why I don't ever get a solo. I wonder why I don't ever get a leadership position. I wonder why I just row. You know, I don't think I can ever serve because I'm so shy. <laughs> Just row. But, but, but I've got a checkered past. You know, I've not always been perfect. I've not always been clean. I've not always done it the right way. God hasn't always been first for me. And just row. You know, it's an incredible privilege, isn't it, to be able to put Jesus on display. Not when we go out and save the world, but when we just row. In a way that he's created us in the little slice of the world where he's put us. And if Paul did it so well, or so faithfully, I should say, not so well, but faithfully, and if those early disciples, that ragtag bunch of ex-fishermen, where one of them bailed and ran and the other stayed put, if they could do it so faithfully, and if that early church 2,000 years ago in the midst of occupied territory, surrounded by hostile people to the gospel, if they could do it so faithfully that today, 2,000 years later, a world is changed just because they rode. 
what could God do through us right here in this world if we rode to? It's a nut and a bolt to the effective Christian life, serving. And if you don't know him today, you're never going to serve your way to him because it's not about works. We serve because we know him. You'll only come to know him when you place your faith in him and trust Jesus to come and forgive you and take over. And you can do that today right where you sit. Let's pray. God, thank you for examples of people like like Paul, Lord, in the Bible. Thank you for pictures in life, guys like Wes and Ed. and Lord, I think all of us probably have people that we could think of like those guys and like Jimmy of, of people that have come alongside of us and they've served us and, and they've helped us to do something we couldn't do on our own. And Lord, it all worked together. Thank you for pictures like that that remind us that in this world you've placed us for a reason. You've equipped us and you've molded and shaped us. You've redeemed us. And Lord, all you call us to do is just row in, in your strength, in your power, in your name. And Lord, even that, you give us the strength to do it. And Lord, it, it's, it's as we all pull that weight, Lord, that a world gets impacted. And so God, thank you for the resources you've put here in this church, on this island. And we pray for us to really get this. And we pray for every other church that honors Jesus in this city to really get this. Because this city needs you. And Lord, many times they don't need a sermon. They just need to see what you look like when somebody loves another person more than they love themselves. And so God, really stir us, I pray. And these key words on a card, Lord, help us to really see we can do this. And the, the only thing you've asked of us is very simple. We just row. So bless our response today, we pray in Jesus' name.